Hey, welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward. And I'm your other host, Kurt Flegel. We have the privilege and the pleasure of interviewing a good friend to both of us. His name is Josh Schaefer. Welcome, Josh. Howdy. Nice to be here. Stokes. Finally being on the legendary podcast. <laughs> Kim and I obviously know a little bit, at least, about you. Uh, being friends and being in house church together as well. But uh, would you, for just everyone listening, would you maybe give a little bit of detail about your life and where you came from, that kind of thing? Well, my dad was a pastor, grew up in a Christian home. In third grade, I decided that I didn't believe any of this. I had like a little bit of a mini existential crisis and just was like staying up late, thinking about nothingness and like, is this what reality will be like after I'm dead? complete non-existence and it terrified me and I just had like this sinking feeling that Christianity wasn't true and so I went and told my mom I was like don't tell my dad so she went and told my dad and <laughs> then we, he had like a one-on-one talk with me about it and I had a bunch of questions about Christianity like a lot of just like the standard atheist ones like if God created everything who created God and what about evolution because I've been learning about it all in school and and so I felt like he either like was giving me like answers you would give a third grader or he just didn't have answers in which case like I was like if he doesn't have answers that really sucks because I wouldn't want to challenge this man's faith which is hilarious looking back at because my dad has read a million books and there's no way I'd be able to do that but that was my thought as a little third grader <laughs> and so I was like I just got to keep this a secret and then like when I'm uh, 18 I can go find someone else who I can challenge their faith and at least I won't ruin my dad's by asking all these questions and then luckily the internet existed so I didn't end up having to go find anyone I just went on the internet instead but at 18 decided I wasn't a Christian just was all about success and live until the singularity so I could upload my brain to the machine uh, and then at 19 God kind of answered one of my prayers in a pretty miraculous way got saved and been saved ever since. So that's kind of where I've been. I think the most interesting thing that's blowing my mind in that whole little synopsis of your life story was that it was third grade. You had an existential crisis in third grade. I was a pretty, a space young kid, just kind of sit on my swing all the time. Like everyone else would be playing games and kids would be like, hey, you want to go and play with this? And I'd be like, no, nah, I'm good. And just keep, keep doing what I was doing. Like not even aware that it was like a weird thing to do. I don't yeah. know if spacey would be the word I would use. I would I would probably use thoughtful and Maybe. intense. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of spacey. Like all of a sudden it, the next lunch break had happened and there's a bunch of like older kids around me and I'm still just on the swing, not even aware that <laughs> everything around me has changed. So... No, I love that. Like the idea that at third grade, you're already going like, oh, I don't know if God exists and having an existential crisis. I should say in like middle school where I'd go to like a church camp and there'd be a cute Christian girl there. And I'd be like, oh, maybe I am Christian. And then like, I get back and be like, nah, never mind. So there were like little <laughs> moments like that, but it definitely was not like the best reasoning that led me to that conclusion. Well, I give you a lot of credit because at third grade, all I was thinking about was Star Wars action figures and the movies and all that kind of stuff. That was definitely there as well. So. Okay. You said that, that you had an experience with God that caused, or an answer to prayer that caused you to rethink. Yeah. So essentially I had like an existential, well, another existential crisis uh, that was due to like the heat death of the universe. 
So like my whole goal was to upload my brain to a machine. The question is, does your consciousness transfer? And I wasn't even like sure if that would be possible, you know? And so I had read some theories about people who thought you could transfer your consciousness. I'm very positive that that's not possible now. But at that point in time, I thought it was possible. And But the heat death of the universe is that the universe, there's like two different heat deaths. One is like the crunch model where like gravity pulls it all back and it goes into an infinitely small space again. Uh, and then the other version of the heat death is like the universe just exponentially expands into nothingness until there's no energy left due to the density of our universe. Like scientists are pretty sure it's, it's the one where it expands into nothingness. And so even if I was to upload my brain to a machine and transfer my consciousness, like my last thought would be floating around, floating around the universe as like a disembodied brain hooked up to some machine or whatever and watching the last few electrons float away after like a trillion years realizing that it was all completely purposeless and I was like that is way more depressing to me than dying at 50. At that point I, I got very depressed about what the purpose of life was. What was the experience that changed that? I got I, this kind of all hit me like at one night and so I I went into my room that night and I prayed, God, if you're out there, and this is kind of out of a place of desperation, not like out of a like demanding place, but God, if you're out there, this is the last prayer I'm ever going to pray. Convince my twin brother that you exist and have him convince me. And so went to bed that night, went towards the next day. My coworker asked me, hey, did you work out this morning? Because we always would talk about a workout. So I was like, no. Nah. He's like, oh, why not? And I was like, oh, because we're all going to die. Nothing matters. Um, and he just like kind of kind of just like looked at me weirdly. He's like, okay. And then just kind of like shifted back to his work. Uh, that was your coworker? And, yeah, my coworker said that works. <laughs> so just to give you an idea of where my state of mind was at. So the next night after I prayed the prayer, I went to bed. And like me and my twin don't call each other. And now he calls me sometimes, but back then we, we wouldn't call it. I don't think we had called each other since high school because it's just like, why would I want, like, I just lived with that guy for 18 years. What new thing could be possibly happening that would be at all exciting or that I would need to hear about? Anyways, we just wouldn't contact each other. But that night he called me for whatever reason. And he was like, hey, Josh, do you believe God exists? Uh, or do you believe in God? And I was like, no. And he was like, why not? And I was like, I just don't think he exists. And he's like, well, God is real. He sees you and he loves you. And just like at that moment, there was just all this depression, like emptiness in me. And I just felt like it all went away and that like everything in life now had purpose because I just had this instant realization that God was real and that he saw me even when nobody else did. And so my twin later actually left the faith, which was sad. But for me, it was God's sovereignty. Like there's a lot of different types of prayers that could be answered. Like God could give us a vision, in which case a vision for me is just like, that could just be a hallucination. That's not very convincing. Uh, or he could give us a dream or whatever, um, or even healing. There's different ways that you could excuse healing. But for me, something that shows that God is sovereign over all of time and that he's able to arrange everything in very improbable ways as direct answers to specific, rarely prayed prayers. That for me is like one of the biggest convincing things that God can do to show that he exists. I was pretty convinced by it. Getting another yeah. person, another stubborn human being to, to do something, that can be yeah. a pretty big miracle. I've had a lot of other things like that since then, where it's just like, I pray something and then something so crazily improbable happens very soon afterwards. And it's like, all right, 
a very specific prayer being answered in a very specific way in a very timely manner. And when that answer is very improbable, it seems like a pretty crazy thing to have happen. Now, you mentioned your twin and how how God used him to bring you to faith, but you've also experienced a lot of pain through him, if I remember correctly. Definitely, my twin has been a uh, struggle for sure, pretty much ever since I got saved. And very soon after, he started having a lot of mental issues. So he smoked weed a lot in uh, high school. If you're kind of predisposed to paranoia or schizophrenia or bipolarism, and you smoke a lot of weed when you're younger, it increases your chances of actually having that as an adult. And so he started to have some of that, and we didn't really recognize what it was right off the bat. And so he kind of went, started going really downhill. And then after having one episode where he kind of went little nuts and thought people were chasing him and all kinds of stuff, he moved into a Christian fraternity that I lived at. So I was on the top floor and he was on the bottom floor, like a three-story building. And he started having like mega depression. And so he would like regularly go up to my room in the middle of the night, like wake me up at 2 a.m. and just have all these uh, sort of suicidal thoughts and stuff like that. So it's just a lot of me being woken up at 2 a.m. and then just having to be there for him and learn how to talk to someone who was going through that kind of stuff. So that was definitely like a, a draining thing, but also like a really big learning experience for me of like learning how different people think and learning how to talk to people in a way that is helpful for them when they're in those sorts of places. And then later on, he was working at a local restaurant and he ended up working a very long work shift. Think about him, he just goes all in on things. And so he did like a ton of dancing and then worked like a very intense work shift. And he ended up injuring himself really badly, but he was so exhausted after the work shift. I think he slept for like 24 hours straight. And then wow. he woke up and he slept like another, he made like dinner and then he like slept another 12 hours after that, like just an insane amount of sleep. And when he woke up, both of his legs were injured and he couldn't walk anymore. He just like just destroyed his knees and like his leg muscles and stuff. And so we ended up down the road, like getting him a doctor, but essentially he couldn't walk for about a full year. He's pretty much bedridden at the bottom of the fraternity. So that definitely escalated his mental issues. So I would like go down and visit him and like bring him comics and stuff like that. Um, and he had like a homeless friend that would kind of drop by occasionally as well and talk to him. But he, he definitely like started getting very paranoid about his roommates. And then about a year into it, really starting to go downhill and ha started having some really delusional ideas about reality and about uh, things going on in his life and in his body and stuff like that. And during our, what was it, 22nd birthday, um, we had a whole bunch of birthday plans with our family and stuff. And we noticed that he was starting to get really paranoid and we thought that he was going to have another episode like he'd had in the past and so like he canceled all of the birthday plans he told my nana that he didn't want to talk to her anymore and that like he was kind of disowning her or whatever i think he sent out a few of those messages but anyways i was meanwhile off like celebrating my birthday as he's doing this with my friends and then i got home uh, that night and my mom had uh, texted me and she said hey pretty sure Joe's going through an episode again, which like was obvious to me as well. In the past, he's had like some violent things that he said. 
people with bipolarism or schizophrenia, the, their paranoia tends to be directed at family members because they have so much to draw on from family members. Like they have like a lifetime of experiences to find traumas in. So essentially she was like, lock your door tonight. And so I went to bed that night. And as I went to lock the door, I felt like this verse, just like I felt like God spoke it to me. It's from Proverbs. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. So as I was going to lock the door, I heard that. And so I just felt like complete peace about not locking the door. In my mind, like how I rationalized what God was telling me to do was like my brother really needed to get like psychological help. And he was refusing to, to admit that he was mentally unstable. And so I felt like what God was saying, like if he attacks you in the middle of the night, then like uh, he'll have to go to jail or whatever and then he'll have to get diagnosed so my whole thought was like god wants me to just kind of lay here essentially and let this happen and so in my mind what i thought was going to happen was either he was going to like slip my throat or something like that and in my mind i was just going to be like uh like a buddhist and just like do what you must you know <laughs> um, and just be like super patient but like the next morning at 4 30 a.m i think he i hear just this loud bang and so he tried to break down the door and then he realized it was unlocked just opened it and turned on the light and he just had like this animalistic crazy eye look um, and I sleep on the floor he's essentially just standing over me in a very like attacking sort of stance and he's got a massive two by four over his head and so he just kind of stands over there with it the two by four kind of raised over his shoulder ready to swing down and I was, I was not at all as peaceful as I thought it was going to be. There's something biological that kicks in and something like that happens. I was like yelling for help and somehow no one in the frat heard. He just kind of stood there for a few seconds. And I was like, Joe, what are you doing? And then he kind of like put it down and he was like, all right, I was planning on coming up in here and killing you tonight, but seeing you scared was good enough. So I'm going to go downstairs now. And I was like, Joseph, you know, like I'm going to have to call cops. People probably heard this. There's no way we can explain this. So yeah, he went downstairs and then I called the cops and they came and they arrested him and kind of long story over the last few years, been supporting him and stuff like that. And we finally got him diagnosed and he's starting to be in a better place. He's on medications and stuff like that. But kind of like what I took away from that is like when my twin in a previous episode he's had where he went a little crazy, he got tased. We counted the holes. So it was like 13 times. And he just kept walking around after literally 13 taser things, which is technically, I think it's supposed to be illegal, but we counted them and we're like, yep, that's, that's 13. And then he was still just walking around like nothing was happening. And then a, a dog came and bit a massive chunk out of his leg. And he just pet the dog and the dog let go. And, and he was still like, just not even like in pain at all, just totally fine. And then he had to get tackled down by like multiple police officers in order to pin him down. And like, we were assuming he was on drugs and like they did a drug test and there's not a single drug in his system, no alcohol, no drugs, anything. And so like when he's in this crazy state, like his strength increases, he essentially doesn't feel pain. Like he turns into just like crazy person that you can't fight. And I'm not a great fighter. I've never, never punched someone except for if it was like part of some sort of silly game. So I, I would not, I would not be a good person to be fighting back. And so anyways, uh, for me, it's like, if, if I hadn't unlocked the door, he would have just busted that door down pretty quick. And I would have tried to defend myself and like me trying to defend myself in that scenario. Like I wouldn't have been able to at all. There's like 0% chance in the end. Like I was totally safe, just like God said I would be. 
and the kind of the peace that God gave me wasn't a lie and God was protecting me. But did it still have traumatic effects on you emotionally or mentally? I mean, that's a pretty, it's a pretty yeah. terrifying experience. Even when you look back and see, yes, you were safe. No, mm -hmm. no actual harm came to you. Yeah. But still the experience itself. Oh yeah. I mean, for sure. No, I definitely had some PTSD about it. Like there was definitely times where I'd have nightmares about it. Luckily, God kind of helped me overcome a lot of those fears through prayer. Like I would sometimes just be terrified to fall asleep because I would just have like these crazy nightmares that kind of felt like almost demonic. And some of them were like attached to that experience. And there was one night where I was just like in my living room, didn't want to go to sleep because I knew as soon as I fell asleep that I would be having one of these crazy, terrifying nightmares. And I was just like completely covered in fear. And I just decided to repent of my fear. And it sounds a little, little nuts, but I was just like, told any demons in the room that in the name of Jesus Christ, that, that they had to leave. And I just felt like a blanket lifting off of me, like as if there was something on me and it was like coming off, which is kind of a weird thing to explain. It was like a physical feeling that I could feel coming off of me. And then I just had like complete peace and didn't have any of those nightmares anymore, which was kind of an interesting experience. Was there any other ways that the PTSD manifested? I think that was kind of the main, the main one was nightmares or any very loud noises in the middle of the night would sometimes freak me out. Even sometimes now, like if I wake up to a very unexpected, very sudden loud noise, I'll wake up a little frazzled. I know that you lived in your van for a while, personal choice. Yes. Did that experience, did that contribute to that decision or no? I don't think it contributed, but it was definitely like a pretty solid side effect was like living in the van uh i pretty much stopped having any fear like sleeping the entire time i lived in there uh just because i knew that he my twin had no idea where i was there's just something safe about being inside of that van hmm. yeah kim do you have any thoughts i mean i resonate with the loud noise thing although different family member my kiss my mother would randomly come into my room at like two or three in the morning mad about some random thing and I don't know my sister managed to sleep through all of it but I definitely resonate with that whole your body kind of like tries to self-protect against things that you think are going to happen again but I mean how is that for you now like you said it's mostly mostly gone for the most yeah, part it's mostly gone there was like one time this year where I woke up to like a bunch of yelling just with some people I was with and a lot of banging of doors and stuff like that. And yeah, I definitely had a little bit of PTSD from that that night, but um, it was pretty much just that one time that it came up this last year. So in that moment, I was just, yeah, I didn't handle it super well, if I'm going to be honest, but I, I definitely pray about it, but it, it kind of takes over and it's irrational and, and like you're aware that it's irrational, but it, all you can really do is pray about it and wait for it to end to a certain extent. As I'm listening to you, I heard a lot of, of reactive things, habits that you did to help you in the moment when you felt that PTSD rising up, like with the dreams and the moment where you felt that heavy weight on you and you commanded the demons to leave and it felt like it, it lifted. So I would call those like reactive kind mm -hmm. of choices where there are habits, practices, postures that were proactive, that helps you like heal and, and relax over the months or years. I personally don't actually think this was like the most impactful or even the most negative experience that I've had. This seemed like just one event that sometimes manifested itself at nighttime. Even during this time, 
there were far more important things that I was thinking about in my life and far more difficult things. I, I don't really feel like it was actually the biggest thing that I needed to be focusing on. There's other things that I was focusing on that God was teaching me through during this season. Like what? There's a person who I essentially had dated for like two weeks and it was a very toxic experience. Like I had like a checklist essentially of like every time we finished the date, I'd be like, all right, do I feel happier? Do I feel more confident? Do I feel more at peace? Do I, and I had all these different things. Do I feel good about my this value and that value? And I would check off green if yes, or red X if no next to it. I had been dating her for two weeks and there was just the whole list is full of red X's. Like every time I dated her, I felt worse about myself. And so it, it was not a good thing. So it was really good that it ended. But when it ended, she essentially was just like, all right, the fact that I like, I can't be around you when you've gone through this sort of trauma, like you shouldn't be allowed to date anyone if you have a brother like this. And so then she went and she was like, and we need space. And so when she said we need space, she means I'm going to tell all of our friends not to talk to you, but to only talk to me. And so essentially, as soon as this thing happened with my twin, pretty much lost contact with the majority of my friends which that was definitely a more difficult thing to be going through. Like, I, I totally understood where she was coming from. She's a very social person and she likes to control the situation. Like, I, it, it is what it is. People are, people are that way. But it, it started getting, like, pretty bad. And then there was just, like, a scenario where essentially she was, like, flirting with this atheist student. This guy was a Christian, like, led worship at a church and stuff. And she was, like, flirting with this atheist dude who, like, I knew was romantically involved with her best friend. And I was the only person in the office who knew this. So we'll say this guy's name is Bill and the gal, the gal that I had dated, let's say her name is Sally and Rita is what we'll call her best friend. So Sally, the one that I dated, was flirting with Bill and Sally's best friend is Rita and Bill is secretly romantically involved with Rita. And so she's like flirting with this dude who her best friend is romantically involved with. And I can just like see all of the, the things that it was causing. And she wasn't like casually flirting. She was flirting to the extent where people were like reporting her to HR because they couldn't focus on their jobs. Everyone in the office was annoyed by it. She was just like destroying her kind of reputation and it was going really downhill. And I was like, someone has to warn her. And so I like told one of her best friends of like seven years, like, yo, you got to warn her. And he's like, oh no, she won't listen. This is just the way she lives her life. Like there's no, there's no way that she'll ever get out of this cycle. And I was like, oh, I can't, I can't let that happen. Like, I can't just let her keep doing this again and again. Someone's got to say something. So anyways, I told her like, hey, uh, this is not going to go well for you. You got to stop. And so we ended up having a conversation about that. I did say some things I probably shouldn't have said. Eh, maybe I should have said them. I don't know. But I, I don't regret saying them because I'd rather just say the truth and warn someone like it says in Proverbs. People can be angry in the moments, but afterwards they'll thank you. And so anyways, she ended up not listening and she ended up losing her best friend and a whole, a whole bunch of negative things ended up happening. And as soon as, as soon as all of the negative stuff happened and like she knew that I was right, that's where she kind of decided that she really hated me. And she wow. started like slandering me. She tried to get me kicked out of my office. She like lied to HR about me, which I got completely cleared, like HR asked me and I was like, nope, none of these things are true and proved that none of them were true. And so they, they actually offered like, hey, do you want us to like go back and like kind of do something against her? And I was like, no, nah, it's good. But then she went to like my pastor and was like, hey, Josh has been annoying me so much at work. The HR had to get involved and then had a whole bunch of situations there. And 
So anyways, it was just a lot of slander. And there's more to this situation that I, I could get in detail with. Like there was stuff with my twin going on throughout this whole time. But like, even when I met with one of these pastors, like one of the first things he said was like, I know your twin has mental issues. And like, do you feel like you ever have like some of the same sorts of thoughts that he has? And so he was trying to essentially be like, since your twin is crazy, maybe you're crazy too kind of thing. And, and it was just like, all right, well now the fact that my twin went through this is being used against me to make me look like I'm a crazy person as well. And so that was, that was definitely a lot more traumatic. And then also these pastors like told me things that I should do. Like, all right, Josh, you, you do these things. We'll make, we'll, we'll like work with her and help her out. So I did everything they did, told me to do. I was like, all right, they're my pastors. I don't think it's helpful what they're telling me to do, but I'll do it. I'll go the extra mile. I'll, I'll go overboard on everything they told me to do. So I did. And then I found out that after about six months of hoping that they were doing their end of the bargain, I found out that they were actually doing the opposite and that they had told her that if I didn't do everything that um, she wanted me to, that they would kick me out of the church. And then she would go around to my coworkers and say, even the pastors agree with me. They say they'd kick Josh out of the church if he didn't do everything I told him to do. And so she's actually using the pastors as another way to slander me. And so they weren't actually holding up their end of the bargain at all. And when I brought it up to them, they said, well, she's a girl. We can't really talk to girls the same way we talk to guys. And we can't have the same expectation because women are the weaker vessel, which I was like, oof. So I was kind of like framed as the hateful one. You're not loving her and just being kind. I was like, you're not actually believing that women are capable of sanctification like men are, which is much worse. So anyways, it it ended up being kind of bad, but cool story at the end of it two stories, how I got out of the situation. One was my last meeting with the pastor. Um, I came in with like a bolded list of like, I think it was five things, why it wasn't healthy. And we actually needed to do something about the situation. I had my dad, who's a pastor, review it, made sure it was theologically sound. I included a bunch of quotes from her best friends and from people that did not seem like they were on my side, just to be like clear, this is like, not just me making this up, even people that would be better friends with her than me would agree with all of this stuff and I had like people from my work willing to come in and and testify on my behalf and stuff so I kind of went to the pastor and I uh or we met about it and he kind of just monologued the whole time and I had prayed before and God if he's willing to listen to what I have to say even if he disagrees I'll stay at this church but if he's not willing to listen then I'm going to go find another church because I really believe in being committed to a local church and not quitting and so about, I don't know, it was like 30 minutes into the conversation or something. I kind of was like, hey, thanks for doing this. But like, we haven't gotten to one of my points yet. And I, can, can I just get through them all real quick? I was like, because you've been talking this whole time. He's like, well, this is what discipleship is. is I'm a pastor and I'm discipling you. And, and I was like, well, we haven't gotten to one of these points. And he's like, Josh, if all we did during this meeting is I just discipled you and we never got to any of your points, that would be a perfect meeting in my mind. Wow. And so, so I, at that point, I, I was kind of in shock. And then I just kind of stood up and I was like, hey, man, I appreciate this. I know you're trying to do the right thing, but this is not working out. And so I just kind of left. And so I felt like God kind of gave me permission to leave. And then at work, there was um, this one instance, like the, her friends didn't believe any of the stuff they said about me or she said about me, but they were just like, if I hang out with him, then I'm going to have to hear a bunch of crap from the gal I'm calling Sally. And I don't want to have to deal with that drama. So I'm just not going to talk to Josh. And so they, it wasn't that they believed the stuff. It's just they didn't want to deal with the drama. So they wouldn't talk with talk to me. And so I just had one more friend kind of like 
flake on me because of her and I, it was just really frustrating knowing that she was the one who had the control over the friendships and not me and so I just went to the bathroom and I had never prayed this before I was like God I can't do this anymore get me out of this and as I stood up from that prayer I like knees still bent I got a text message with a new job offer which is where I'm working now and so it was just kind of cool just seeing that like through everything in my life all these times where I feel like nobody sees what I'm going through. God always sees and God is always there. And all we have to do is obey him, be faithful and trust him. And he takes care of us. That's awesome. That seems like a long, grueling season. Yeah, it was. So what were some of your spiritual practices that allowed you to stay focused on God and his leading through this, through this difficult season? It would be very easy for me to get angry. Uh, like sometimes I was like furious about this where I, my friends would lie to me about what they're doing because they were hanging out with her and stuff like that. And it would get, it'd be very easy to get frustrated. And so I would go through Philippians 4, 8, whatever's pure, whatever's peaceful, whatever's, um, if there's anything worthy of praise. And so I'd write out for this gal, Sally, all right, God, I really don't like this guy right now, but what is, what is Admiral Vlad about her? What, what do you see in her? And wow. so that would really help me to overcome a lot of my negative emotions. And I do that with a lot of my friends. I did that with all my friends. And then I also write down all of my own sins. So I go through Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and love is patient, kind, all those things. And I'd be like, have I been patient, God? Have I been kind? Have I been, et cetera, et cetera. You can't get through that prayer without noticing something sinful in yourself. And so by the end of it, I would have something about myself that wasn't great. And I would write it down. And so I would just have this list of here's all the sinful things I've done. Here's all the beautiful things God sees in these people and just kind of recognize, you know what, this is pride in me that I'm judging these people. Even though this gal has done a lot of terrible things to me, I have friends who have done terrible things to people and I still love them. And so just because I happen to be the recipient of all of the bad stuff doesn't mean that I have any more reason to not love someone. That's like a very self-centered, that'd be a very self-centered understanding of love. So it would just be like, all right, I just happen to be the recipient in this one instead of the friend. And so it would help me to emphasize, empathize, or I guess sympathize or have compassion on my friends when they were doing that. I'd be like, all right, I can see from their perspective. And also just like, okay, I can see myself being the friend of her and being patient with her. So I should be able to be patient with her as the receiver of the injustice. That's amazing. It was very difficult. It was very, very painful. But it sounds like there was a lot of growth. Yeah. Yeah. For me, like the whole, the Sermon on the Mount was a huge one because I had just memorized it. And so the whole turn the other cheek, the whole just kind of always just responding to your enemies with love and stuff like that. Um, and then just all of the things about your God who sees in secret will reward you. And so just knowing that we have a God who sees us, uh, sees, the, sees the things that are done in secret, even when nobody else sees. And that all we have to do is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and know that he is providing for us. So, mm. What it seems like to me, it just seems like that there was a lot of relationships where you were unsafe. Would it be fair to say what you you came to a determination in the midst of all of these unsafe relationships that God was your safety and you were going to hold to him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I felt like I had lost everything, essentially. Like my brother, I had my my job was jeopardized. My church friendships were jeopardized. All, all my friendships were pretty much jeopardized by this, affected by it in some way or another. 
And so it definitely felt like, all right, I've kind of, I've lost a lot of the things that I enjoyed. And so now pretty much all that's left is just like, even my pastors, like I looked up to these guys so much, like even when, when, the, when I first sensed this gal was having a problem with me, I told her like, please go to the pastors. And like, if you have a problem, please go to them and tell them because I know that they will like be faithful and handle this well. And so like, I literally told her to go to the pastors because I trusted them that much that they would handle it properly. And so like these people that I had looked up to for years and years just letting me down. And so it just kind of taught me like, yeah, God is enough. I, I can just trust in him alone. I mean, this is very admirable because there's a lot of people that have been wounded by other Christ followers and have walked away from their faith. They let the wounds of people who say they follow Jesus and, and, and some actually do, but we all have some maturity issues at some point. And they, they allowed the wounds inflicted by people in church leadership, fellow believers, to lead them to walk away from the relationship with God and turn mm -hmm. to unbelief and atheism. Uh, you didn't do that. So for people out there that are at a point where they've been pretty wounded by the church, by church leadership, by other believers, what advice would you have if you were talking to someone struggling and was allowing this to affect their faith in Jesus? I think the first one would be be willing to recognize that it might be your fault. And that was a big one for me was like, maybe I did do something wrong. And so actually like I sent this gal like three apology letters, like trying to clear the air. I think they're emails actually, which she actually used against me. Like he, he's contacting me against my will or whatever, which hadn't been clear to me that I wasn't allowed to do that. So for me, it's like being able to admit that like maybe it's your fault. I think a lot of people who have been damaged by the church aren't willing to admit that there might be something wrong that they have done in the situation. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's the most important thing is like just being able to at least be open to that idea. And then the second one, I mean, if it's causing you to leave the church, then you might not love Jesus because Jesus loves his church. So if someone's leaving the church, I honestly, maybe this is me going too far. I would doubt whether or not they actually love Jesus because the, the church is what Jesus is all about. And if, if you truly love Jesus, then you're going to love people and the people you're going to love the most are the body of Christ, even when they do things wrong. So if someone has decided to completely leave God altogether due to the church, how could the love of God actually exist in them? So what I hear you saying in that, tell me if this makes sense, if this sounds right, is that for us to make decisions to walk away from God when someone else is being immature in their faith points to a greater immaturity in us yeah absolutely and that's something to pay attention to people also are just so fast to quit their churches like you got to stick around as long as you possibly can and like try to resolve because some people will be like i'm leaving the church and they won't be able they won't be willing to meet with the person that wounded them in the sermon on the mount it says when you're offering your gift at the altar you remember that your brother has something that against you leave your gift at the altar and go first be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift like don't eat god doesn't even want your worship if you have offended someone in the church first go do whatever you can to make things right with that person and then come and worship god and so the idea of trying to worship at some other church while you have a brother or sister that clearly has something against you definitely do everything you can to try to resolve that first
because Jesus says they will know us by our love for one another. So that's essential that we're, we're able to heal these things and forgive and try to make things right. Would you say that's a spiritual act of worship right there? It definitely is. Yeah. Kim, before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah. We're talking about people leaving the church so easily. I think it's because a lot of the times they don't see the church as a family and families are messy as you and I are both well aware. And because it's treated more as something to just do on a Sunday morning, people don't feel, aren't, often aren't willing to feel the same sense of connection that they, that they do. Like you, you can't leave your family. You can cut them out if they're really toxic, but as a general rule, you don't leave your family. You work through things, but we don't tend to view church as the same thing. There can be a tendency to go, oh, well, I'm here for what I can get out of it not for what I can put into it. And it it feels like there needs to be a cultural mind shift there. I mean, you know, it's part of why we both love house church so much because one of our values is we are a contributing family because that is a huge deal. You know, I went to a church where 10% of the people did 100% of the work and everyone else was just there for what they could get. And then you've got the 10% extremely exhausted and worn out and burnt out and wounded in another way besides just, you know, the normal people interactions, because they're having to do everything. And that's exhausting too. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it is definitely conviction for me. What have I joked? God tends to wind up having to use dynamite to get me out of situations. I might be a little too loyal in some respects, but I think I would rather err on that side where God has to be extremely clear that I'm to leave before I do. I wonder how much more the church would thrive if more people were willing to treat it like a family where you're willing to get in the dirt and you're willing to get messy with people instead of just being a spectator. Because what good does practice do if you're never in the game? There is that viewpoint or idiom that if you're struggling with some kind of pain, one of the best things you can do is take the focus off you by serving (laughs) other people. It actually does help heal. When you turn the attention and the focus off of yourself to serve someone else, you do get a greater perspective, a wider perspective, which helps you heal. Yeah, I know that to be true for sure. The the worst times in my life where everything was going absolutely crazy, family was in a mess, everything was falling apart. I was struggling with depression. And one of the things that God was using to help me get through that was serving was working with teenagers, was being on the worship team and being constantly reminded of what God was doing in other people's lives. Mm. In the middle of that, it made a huge difference where even though I was exhausted, you know, holding up in my room the rest of the week, I, for the most part, still couldn't wait to get to church on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Or I think at that point I was at church four days a week, which had a lot to do with the fact that God was using it so much. What should have worn me out actually was the thing keeping me going. Mm, Energized you. Yeah, which (laughs) my little introverted self, you wouldn't think that would be how that would work. That's a big deal. Yeah. But yeah, in that season where depression was so high, God was using me serving others (laughs) to keep me moving forward. That's good stuff. Yeah. I think that's exactly what, what Josh just showed. Even the people that had hurt him, he was looking for what was good and beautiful and worthy of praise in them. Yeah, that's one of my favorite verses, for sure. 
that's a good summary of of what Josh just shared. And so I think this is a, a good place to wrap up. And Josh, I'm really thankful for you sharing your story. And I think this is really relevant, especially in our world today. I think a lot of people are walking through these kind of experiences and dealing with these kind of emotional and relational wounds. So to close out, would you mind praying for people who are out there walking through the same thing that you've walked through? Yeah, of course. God, you are a holy, holy, holy God. You're a God who is sovereign over everything. You're a God who sees every single person in this world, everyone listening to this podcast. You've not just, you're not just seeing them in this moment, but you have seen them their whole lives from the moment they're born. You've known them before all time. Uh, you've watched them make friends and get rejected and have family problems and struggle with their faith, God. And I know that so many of us Christians get wounded and the people that wound us, the same thing is true about them, God, that you have seen them their whole lives, that you love them more than we could possibly ever understand, God, that you love them more than their parents, you love them more than their best friends. And when we're angry with them, even if they actually have done something wrong, it's offensive to you. It's like insulting someone's child. It's like insulting someone's best friend, God. This is your creation that you think is beautiful. And it's so easy for us to get angry and want to damage people. So please forgive us for the anger in our hearts, for the, for the self-centeredness, for not being able to love people in the same way that you have loved us. Help us to trust in you when things seem difficult, when it seems like, seems like nobody else sees us. Help us to believe that all we have to do is to be faithful to you, to be obedient to you, and that you are in control of all things, God. You are a good, good father. And we love you, God. Amen. 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 Thank you, Josh. This has been extremely helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for being willing to be so honest about, you know, your struggles. I mean, other people's struggles definitely helped inspire me too. So right on. Yeah. This is going to be good. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. Have a good one. You too. Take care. You too. Bye, Kim. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Life Hurts God Heals. Before you go, let me ask you a question. Are you stuck in any way in your life? Whether it's being stuck in past wounds that you can't seem to get over, or whether it's just being stuck in certain patterns of thinking and behaving now that you just can't seem to get past, or you feel stuck when it comes to the future, you want to know what God has for you and how to move into that. Well, let me help you with that. As a coach, my goal is to help you discover who God made you to be. What is your unique identity? Let me help you discover that because everything else you want out of life flows from that. If you're interested in having a consultation with me, you can reach me at coachkurt777 at gmail.com. Until next time, remember, you are God's beloved, so be loved. Be loved.